This episode has been brought to you by Worldwide Soba, a Japanese noodle production company. This week on a special bonus episode of Meat and Three, we're celebrating Mardi Gras with an ode to the king cake, the most delicious custom of carnival season. This is kind of like terrible comparison, but it's kind of like a braided New Orleans babka, if you really think about the actual technique of it. Do we know why they put a baby in the cake yet? You'd better be careful where you get that cake because your friends and coworkers in New Orleans are going to have an opinion about it. Tune in to Meet in 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Why Food Podcast, a podcast um, featuring entrepreneurs, innovators, and other people who are just doing really incredible things in the food industry. Yeah, all, all the wackos. All, all of us wackos. I'm your host, Valerie Lomas. I'm Ethan Frisch. And we have an amazing guest today, Priyanka Nike. She um, she actually won a Food Network show, Cooks vs. Cons, and she also, she creates a ton of amazing content and videos, and she has two careers because she currently works at Twitter and is a full-time techie in addition to being a chef and food content creator. So welcome, Priyanka. Thank you. This is so exciting. <laughs> so, well, Priyanka, tell us about uh, your style. If somebody is looking up one of your recipes or, or watching one of your videos, what are they what are they getting themselves into? Yeah, so that's that's a question that I frequently get. And my style is an Indian twist on global classics. And it's all vegan. And the reason why that is my style is because I'm first generation, born and raised in Staten Island, and I'm an avid traveler. Shaolin, okay, real thug life. Um, And I'm an avid traveler. So given that I have a very strong Indian background through my parents and my family, which has really influenced my cooking style and how I eat and like and enjoy food, it's also influenced by my extensive travel globally. So I try to combine the two to, to create unique dishes that people will embrace and like. Nice. Awesome. And you have a pretty interesting story about kind of what launched you <laughs> into the food career side of your life. Um, interesting or weird? <laughs> well, I think What's the difference? I think it's interesting and it, it is a little relevant because like currently because you were working at Bloomberg and I don't know, he's just like a hot topic these days, yeah. <laughs> like the person. But tell us a little bit about... Bloomberg Pantry. Yeah, so I started my blog almost 10 years ago now when I became full-time vegetarian and it was in an effort to share it was in an effort to share um, different vegetarian dishes and cuisines and ideas for people so they can embrace plant-based food more. And that evolved into writing for different publications, featuring recipes all over different social media platforms. And I try to more and more incorporate my food into all of the corporate jobs I held, which now brings me to Bloomberg. So I worked at Bloomberg um, maybe four or five years ago now. And I led our global data science team for Bloomberg Media. And so completely unrelated to food, as you can imagine. But if you've ever been to a Bloomberg office, especially the New York one, there is an extensive pantry where they have all different types of snacks and condiments and drinks. And you can basically make yourself a snack. 
And uh, when I started there, I challenged myself to use the pantry items to make myself a full breakfast and full lunch, mainly because I was cheap and also because I needed a creative outlet. And so when I started this, I realized some of my creations were pretty cool. What were they? <laughs> so I would use the oatmeal packets and some of the dark chocolate candies, and I would make um, a dark chocolate ganache oatmeal with fresh fruit. Um, how, did, how did you make a chocolate ganache in a corporate <laughs> pantry? Yeah. I would warm the chocolate up in the microwave, yeah. <laughs> and then I would put a little pat of butter we had little butter packets and a little splash of like coconut milk or almond milk and i would whisk it with a fork and then it would turn into this kind of glossy chocolate ganache ganache. yeah Yeah. and um i would mix that in with the oatmeal to make kind of a very dark decadent style of an oatmeal and we would have apples and bananas and so i'd top it with fresh fruit uh, so it what was, was the, what was the wackiest, I don't know, like the most off the wall, uh, oh, um, thing that you made. I made a, uh, pizza bagel. Okay. So we would have fresh vegetables sometimes like crudite. I think that's how you pronounce it. I'm not French. And I would, took the tomatoes and I sliced them in quarters and I put them in a bowl and put a little bit of sugar, salt and pepper, and a little bit of water and warmed it up in the microwave. Yep, made a tomato sauce, <laughs> and yeah. Tomato sauce. And sometimes we would have like carrots or bell peppers. So I chopped those up and we had cream cheese. And so I'd mix the cream cheese with some salt and pepper and any other sort of seasoning I could find, spread that on a toasted bagel, put my quote unquote tomato sauce and some of my chopped vegetables, and we had a pizza bagel. Wow. Yeah. So that one was very popular. Yeah, sounds like it. So, and where did this take you? You you had... Yeah, what? so I the account became official after Bloomberg Security and Marketing found out it was me. And we started using it for recruiting purposes for and for cultural purposes. And at the same time, I had been applying to a lot of different Food Network shows because at the time I was like, I think I have something really cool to offer and I love being behind a camera. Like, I need to get on TV. And finally, when Food Network reached out to me um, through my audition process, they were like, you know, we saw that you're doing something called Bloomberg Pantry. And I was like, yeah. And so I explained the story to them and I told them what it's about. And they found it completely bizarre, but also interesting. And that's really what propelled me to even get on the show, Cooks vs. Cons. Wow. Yeah. So it took me to TV stardom. Amazing. (laughs) Who would have thought that making pizza bagels in a in a corporate pantry would Right. Be... Well, it's the corporate pantry and the power of social media. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Definitely. So I, I would actually like to talk a little bit about what you're doing now because you're doing a lot. <laughs> like, I mean, first of all, like you're so much more than a content creator. Like you truly like you truly are a chef in the sense that you are making food for people and you're making food for lots of people, whether it's like, I know you did a partnership with Gotham greens and you hosted a a multi-course dinner. And I know you've cooked for like Twitter headquarters, which was literally thousands of people. Like where did you even really get the courage as someone who is, who hasn't necessarily had like really 
even on the job training, like in catering or anything like that to cook for such large numbers of people? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, my background, I I am self-taught, which is probably different from what you would see mostly in the food industry or caterers or chefs at restaurants. And the reason for that is I considered going to culinary school, but most culinary schools are European-based or French or Italian. And the style of cooking that I have is mainly influenced by my um, heritage, which is Indian and my background. And I felt that going to culinary school wouldn't necessarily teach me the skills that I wanted to learn. Um, And also I cook all vegan, so I wouldn't want to go to culinary school and be obligated to cook a steak and then not be able to try it. Um, But that pushed me to teach myself more often and challenge myself. And once I actually got on Food Network and competed on Cooks vs. Cons and won solely cooking vegetarian food at the time, it really gave me the credibility that I needed in the food industry to show that, hey, I can cook against professional executive chefs and cooks and actually win against them, which means that I can actually win with this type of food that I have, my flavor profile, and um, any other challenge that came up. I, In addition to cooking for Twitter and SF and in New York, I've done Food Loves Tech, where I single-handedly cooked for over a thousand people, which was crazy. And in retrospect, I'll probably get some help in the future. Um, But I think it's thinking about the recipes and what can actually be scalable and how I can actually take some of my recipes and mass produce them. Not all of them can be because there are some that are well suited for a small dinner party, but there are some that actually can be produced to scale. And so it's a lot of that testing and learning that I've been doing throughout my career. Um, and for Twitter, it, it was interesting because we get so many celebrity chefs that come in and guest chef. And for me, I, I positioned my guest chefing once I was able to pitch myself to them and actually get a position to do it. I pitched it around doing it um, around Indian holidays and something that really embraced my culture and then ultimately my cooking style and the food that I serve. So again, in that process in creating that menu, is what are what items of mine can actually be scalable? So, what yeah. was the what was the dish that won Cooks versus Cons? There were two. So the first challenge um, for the first challenge, it was we had to make some sort of um, item that uses all of these mint ingredients. So peppermint, uh, mint jelly, mint candies, mint liqueur, like things that you wouldn't necessarily find yourself cooking with. Um, I cook with mint jelly all the no, time. <laughs> well, I mean, as you, a lamb, like a tradition, isn't it like a traditional lamb well, accompaniment or something? So that's that's how it's originally thought of, or that's how most people think of it, because lamb does pair really well with mint, especially in like Middle Eastern and Mediterranean cuisine. But mint is actually used quite frequently in Indian cuisine, um, but in very different ways, and you might not necessarily know that it's actually mint. So what I had created was an Indian. Um, Indian inspired home fry dish, which was made with sweet potatoes, peanuts, peppermint, and it was accompanied by a coriander and peppermint chutney. So in the chutney, I used the jelly, the peppermint, as well as the York. Anything sweet, just you could grind it up into a chutney. Yeah, with like, and if you put really spicy chilies and fresh coriander, it actually blends really well with those ingredients. So we have like a lot of balance of sweet and spicy and tangy. Yeah, cool. Yeah, and then the dish that. Ultimately, won me the show, which is kind of funny. 
um, it was a nacho cheese squash pao bhaji. And so the challenge was nacho cheese. So basically, like nacho cheese that you would get at a movie theater, nacho cheese popcorn, nacho cheese kale chips, like all these kind of like gross nacho cheese things that you wouldn't eat. Um, and I made something called a pao bhaji, which is an Indian street food dish. You may have had it because you've yeah, been to times. India. Yeah. And it it basically is a play on a sloppy joe, if I had to relate it to something that is American. And I made that using squash because squash is a, like a very hearty vegetable. So I thought it would pair really well with the nacho cheese and a lot of green chili. And I also um, rehydrated the nacho cheese kale chips and chopped that up and sauteed that with the squash. And then I put that on an, a garlic and cumin rubbed sounds, toasted ciabatta. That with sounds arugula. delicious from a <laughs> pile of nacho cheese flavored ingredients. <laughs> yeah, but it was funny because... You know, I made a sandwich, essentially, and the the chef that I was competing with, ultimately, who was an executive chef at a really well-known restaurant in North Carolina, he was making something with, like, lamb hearts or some organ meat, and I was like, yo, this dude is going to win. Like, he's doing something with organ meat, and I'm making a sandwich. Like, <laughs> but it was, I guess it was the flavors that won the judges over, so yay to Pow Budgie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that like rehydrating kale chips that's like so creative I love that and then throwing it in there sauteing it with the was it the squash yes that's that's kind of brilliant like definitely super creative do you have a do is there a restaurant in New York that makes a a really good pavaji that you would recommend One thirty-three Ryan Place my house in Staten Island no um come ring the doorbell yeah um I don't, you know, that's the funny thing. And I find that maybe most like first generation or or Indian people are like this. Like I don't eat Indian food that much out and I don't have that great of a recommendation to get pao bhajee specifically. I do have other recommendations to get like dosa and idli and other like North Indian dishes, but there are certain dishes that I just simply don't eat out. I'm sorry. (laughs) I want to talk about like something else that I noticed from the show that you were on Cooks vs. Cons to where you are now. And that's your ability to have branded and marketed yourself because you have these like iconic red glasses. (laughs) I think they're even on your business cards. They're on your logo. And you somehow knew when you went on this television show, like three years ago, really kind of at the beginning of your food career, you were wearing these glasses. Was that intentional? Yeah. So there is a very funny story behind that. Um, When I was casted for the show, uh, I was instructed not to wear too much makeup because the concept of the show was cooks versus cons, which means that there were two professional chefs and two amateur chefs, but your identities are hidden. And in order to kind of blend in and trick the judges, essentially, everyone sort of had to look very minimalistic. Because women chefs don't wear makeup? Yeah. Is that the thought process? Apparently, if you're a line cook in the kitchen, you're not allowed to wear bright lipstick and eyeliner. So I was like, well, I really don't want to go on national television just looking like another greasy brown girl. So I need something. And I wear glasses all the time. I grew up with terrible vision because it's hereditary and I'm Indian and I have like 15 pairs of glasses and I was like, I'm going to wear glasses because I need something. And so I get on set and they're like, okay, do you wear contacts? And I was like, no. And they're like, 
oh, we have to check with our executive producer if you acquire glasses. And I was like, well, I, you know, I didn't bring my contacts, so. It's not up to you. Good answer. No, I did not bring them. That is the right answer. (laughs) So I went on TV with my glasses, and that's actually how I started getting recognized here and there and people would reach out to me to be like oh my god where did you get your glasses so it became part of I mean it was already part of my lifestyle so it's not like I did something special um it just more was more seamless into my branding right right and I I love the color because it really is like when you think of a red lip it's that same like pop of color and I'm so amused that the producers had to like scurry and find out like is this okay because yeah they kind of want everyone to just like blend together but I feel like like you mentioned like that's how people recognize you and that's like such a strong part of your brand now so that was like kind of genius yeah and now I um kind of progressing to where I'm at now, I contribute a lot to Tastemade, which I'm sure most of you know, and they have a huge, they have one of the largest like digital platforms for food. And one of the questions I constantly get is like, where are your classes from? And I'm like, are you even looking at the recipe? Like, But yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's just who I am. So, and sometimes when I put on contacts, I'm like, is this me? Right. Who or who am I? <laughs> yeah. You know, are they the same glasses or are yeah. you sticking? So the other fourteen pairs of glasses you had just <laughs> no, kind I, of gone. They, you know, based on outfit. Like today, I'm wearing a cherry shirt, so it like goes. I do a lot of coordination with outfits because I have fun with it. Because I'm like, okay, well, I'm not a candidate for LASIK because my prescription keeps increasing. So <laughs> might as well just have fun with my terrible vision. Right. So. But you have really great style. And Thank you. I think it really comes across in your travel videos because um, you've done a lot of travel videos, whether you were just kind of like traveling with your girlfriend. And now you, I mean, you also contribute to Tastemate Travel and you did this really fun Contiki video in <laughs> yeah. Portugal. So like, tell us like about that. How did that come about? Yeah. So as I mentioned, I travel extensively. I grew up traveling um, with my family. We would make it a point to we would actually go to India every year pretty much growing up because our entire family was there and we didn't grow up with any other Indian families in Staten Island so it was really important for my parents to take us there every year but in addition to that every summer vacation we try to travel somewhere new so it was kind of part of who I was growing up and as an adult who now funds my own travel adventures it's been a goal of mine for the past four or five years to travel to at least two to three new countries a year. Um, And I try to find different creative ways to do that, whether it's a friend that's living abroad and I make it a point to go and visit them or crashing one of my older sister's trips to Australia because she's going and she's important. And I'm like, I'm not important. Can I just come? And um, it's been very eye-opening for me, especially as someone who's in the food and culinary industry because you don't know what that cuisine or that culture is really like until you put yourself in that country. And so because it's been a huge part of my life and ultimately my food career, um, it's really transcended into, transcended into being part of more of my brand. And so recently I did a branded content feature with Tastemade and Contiki where we went to Lisbon, Portugal, and we traveled through the city to discover the culture and heritage of Portugal through the lens of its food, which is very interesting because Portugal, um, from a historical standpoint, has dozens of influences and a lot from India and various parts of Europe and Canada. So it was super interesting to see what is that, what is exactly indigenous to Portugal through their food versus what has been acquired from different countries. Is anything indigenous? 
Uh, yes. Uh, what was that fish? Um, Bacalao. No, cod is not indigenous. Cod is because cod is from cod is from Canada. The, yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, it is not indigenous. Um, but that other fish in the can, oh my god, sardines. sardines yes, yeah. sardines. Mm. Sardines are indigenous to Portugal. But it's so funny. <laughs> One thing. Thank you, Portugal, <laughs> no, for sardines. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. There, there's a there's a couple of other things too, obviously. But the, the cod one is very interesting yeah. because that's the most frequently asked about one, and it's not indigenous to Portugal. Thank you for debunking that myth. Um, We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will have more with Priyanka. This episode has been brought to you by Worldwide Soba, a Japanese noodle production company. Founded by Shuichi Kotani, Worldwide Soba offers noodle consulting services in addition to supplying a variety of tools for wannabe noodle makers. Want to take a class? Worldwide Soba has it. Need a traditional Japanese soba knife? Worldwide Soba has that too. To learn more, visit worldwide-soba. And we're back. You're listening to Why Food. And our guest this week is Priyanka Naik, who uh, is a chef and content creator and uh, traveler and uh, uh, winner of food competitions. And techie. Oh, and techie, right, since uh, we are talking about career transitions on this show. Um, uh, So, Priyanka, you were were telling us a little bit uh, over the break about what's next for you. What are you working on now? Yeah, there's a couple of projects in the pipeline. So the first thing is I'm working on a cookbook. Um, so more to come on that. But what kind of what uh, can you give us any any hints about? Yeah, what Yeah, so be? it would it, it it'll be all vegan because that's that's how I cook, and it'll definitely be a culmination of my upbringing as a first generation Indian in Staten Island, which is very bizarre. Plus, why um, is that bizarre? It's bizarre because if anyone knows about Staten Island, it is one the Forgotten Borough. So if you don't know about it, I don't blame you. Um, but it so is, it's actually in New York City. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. Um, if anyone closer to New Jersey. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> it's, if anyone actually knows the real name of Staten Island, Shaolin. And if you don't know that, that's what's what is it? Wu Tang. Oh, okay. I was like, Richmond County? (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) I only know that because I worked in the court system. Mm. So we call things Yeah, why do you know that? (laughs) Yeah, counties. But uh, so you you grew up in Staten Island, and that's that's significant because it's... It's significant because it is not very diverse in its demographic. It is mainly um, Italian and, and very much Eastern European now and Roman Catholic and their views even kind of on on the world and politics and government is also very conservative. So it's very different from, let's say, one of my friends who's grown up in Queens or in New Jersey that have a larger Asian or Indian community. And so growing up in Staten Island um, kind of forced my parents to instill our cultures and values much more for me and my sisters through how we ate at home, um, understanding our Indian culture through our religion and going to India. And that really influenced how we think about food and how we cook. And a lot of that will be captured in my cookbook, as well as my experience in traveling and how experiencing different cultures right there in those countries have influenced my horizon on food and how we can incorporate more of those elements into our day-to-day cooking within the Western world. 
And Staten Island also, I mean, especially in the last, say, 20, 15 to 20 years, there there are bigger and growing immigrant communities, Liberian, West African in particular. Yeah. I think the largest Liberian population outside of Liberia is on Staten Island. Yeah. Big Sri Lankan population There's the Sri as Lankan well. Sri Lankan population, right. But th- those are mainly in the North Shore, and I grew up in the South oh, Shore. okay. All right. So... <laughs> That did you, was, so, I mean, how did you, uh, was there much, uh, interaction with other cultures within Staten Island? Did you, or did you have, did, a, you, did you have a lot of Indian friends growing up? No. So that's the thing. I had zero, yeah. like I grew up that's, with really only just like your family basically. Yeah. Is, and yeah. that's why like, it's, it, I find that my background in this case is very interesting because I am really well versed in my Indian background, my culture. We spoke Canada before we spoke English in the house. I had like a little fobby Indian accent growing up, which was bizarre because I'm born and raised in Staten Island. So it was just like very much to our home and within our home, like how we think about our culture and how we treat it. And then ultimately what that means for us um, externally and how we view ourselves. And I think a lot of that helped by having the advantage of going to India every year and experiencing the food and the people and the culture there. Um, and that's actually pretty incredible that your parents gave you that gift of bilingualism. Yeah. Because I feel like especially like with our generation, it was at the time it was kind of like iffy because there was this conception that like, you know, your children need to learn English yeah. where, I mean, I think parents now they're like, they understand a little bit better. Like your child will learn English eventually. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so that's amazing. They gave you that. Agreed. And I think, um, for us, obviously, the incentive was like communicating with family back home. You know, it's like I can't communicate with them if I don't know Canada, and so there was there was that. Um, but also, you know, being proud of your culture because it is very difficult as a child to grow up in an environment where you bring lunch to school and you're drinking mango juice out of like a fruity, you know, Indian mango juice box, and kids are like, "Ew, like what is that?" And I'm like, "It's my mango juice," <laughs> and it's like you don't know necessarily what to feel good about or what to feel bad so it's nice to at least have a home environment that's very embracing of it and then now as someone who's older um how appreciative I am of that and like I'm so proud to be Indian and I'm so proud to like use that as an influence to how I think about food and generally like the broader culinary world awesome and you mentioned um another like video-based project you have Yeah, so I have several projects in the pipeline for Tastemade, um, which I'm very excited about. I love Tastemade. They're an awesome platform. Um, But I also am going to be on a show that will be coming up on Quibi, which... What's Quibi? Yes. Am I supposed to know this? I feel (laughs) like I'm supposed to know this. You should. You should. (laughs) Now now I'm about to know it. All right. That's good enough. Yeah. So basically, it's another streaming service that you're going to have to add to your checklist of streaming services that you've purchased on a monthly basis. But it's actually very cool. Quibi stands for Quick Bytes, and it is a mobile-first streaming service that is all short-form content that's meant to be consumed only on your mobile device, horizontally or vertically. So all of the content is shorts. They're not 30 to 45 to one hour long episodes. They could be like from five to 15 minutes. And they're food focused? A lot of them are food focused. Yeah, there's there's a multitude of variation of content. Um, We have like, we have like Steven Spielberg creating content for it. Um, But a lot of the production companies that have worked to create content for Food Network are also creating content for Quibi. So there is going to be a show that I will be featured on, which is going to be very amusing, I hope. 
Have you have you filmed it already? Yeah. Yeah. Can, can you say anything else about it? You know, I'm not entirely sure, <laughs> but um, I can say that there will be a lot of food in my face, Uh-oh. literally. Yes. That does sound fun. <laughs> yeah. And when will that be out? And where can people, when, when will it be out? When can so people I think look April, for it? April of this year. So in about a month and a half. And you can sign up for the Quibi streaming service um, through Quibi. And it's an app on your phone. So it's Q-U-I-B-I. That's awesome. And you've also done stuff with universities, which I think is like also pretty interesting and kind of unique. Um, Like, I I think you're kind of like a master at like finding all of these like amazing (laughs) opportunities and using all of your resources and like, you know, like you're like even like cooking for Twitter headquarters, like a, like with the ranks of like Nigella Lawson, like how can you maybe tell our listeners, like how can they be more like you? How can they put themselves <laughs> out there to like a whole like huge wide variety of like places, conferences, um, digital platforms, TV platforms, like what's your secret sauce? So I think, I don't think it's really a secret. I think to be honest, I am my number one fan Um, and it's a very weird thing to say, but if you're not your own fan, then who's going to be your fan? And I am the type that, um, proactively pitches myself, reach, I reach out to everyone everywhere until people started noticing me. And a lot of that has to do with like, you know, people are like, you know, I'm not very confident in my ability to do X, Y, and Z. And what I say is like, well, you're not going to know if you're good at something unless you put yourself out there. And so I wasn't necessarily like, oh, I'm the best cook ever when I started my blog. But it wasn't until I started doing things like Bloomberg Pantry and putting myself on TV that I was like, wait, I I think I have You're like, I got here. this. I right, I, right. <laughs> yeah. And um, even to an extent of being recognized by GQ, I was in GQ two years ago as a featured chef. Um with like in a branded campaign for Motorola and like I would never think you know five years back like oh I'm gonna be in a campaign with with GQ and one of like the largest tech companies out there right so I think the the secret sauce is I am my number one fan and I'm constantly putting myself out there but from an actual logistical standpoint it's a lot of time management so I'm very very structured in how I manage my time and also how I value value it. So um, my weekends are spent on Chef Priyanka. My days during working hours are spent um, on my day job in tech at Twitter. And then every half an hour, hour in between is some sort of Chef Priyanka thing. There's no, there's no room for free time. So do you have some specific pieces of advice, things that for, you know, people, there's so many opportunities for, for quote unquote content creators in food. Uh, advice for for people who are looking to do that professionally or semi-professionally or or pieces of advice that you wish somebody had told you two or three years ago? Yeah, I think I, I think the advice that I have is stay honest with yourself and true to who you are. And I hate using this word, but that word authentic, I, I know, I know, God. My favorite word. It's like globalization, strategic, it's all those words that we all hate. But um, I think it's valid here because every, for me, in, in my case, for instance, every recipe that I put out there, every project that I work on is, there's a story behind what I do. And it comes from a place of actual passion and caring. And for me, 
Um, I truly love to cook and it's very therapeutic for me and it's a creative outlet. And I started doing it because I really did love it. I didn't start doing it because I was like, I'm going to become famous one day that I think it's the objective in which you start something. So if you like to cook, then you should cook first and foremost for yourself. And then if you want it to evolve into something else, then there's a lot of building to that and thinking about what does this actually mean to me? What is my story behind this? Like, why should people care? Um, if you like to draw, then it's also thinking about why you like to draw and is this bringing you happiness first and foremost, and then putting it out there to the world for people to actually see if you want that to happen. Um, but I still go back to you have to be your own fan and you have to be like, I have something special to offer. So if you truly feel that way, then get it out to the world. I think that's a really great point, just about like believing in yourself. And it does have to be a little bit more than passion. Like you mentioned, it's about time management. It's about what you do yeah. with your time, because I think it can it can be difficult and maybe not even the wisest decision if someone does have the passion to just go dive in like head first, face first. Um, and, you know, quit their day job like you're still you know, you're still working and you I imagine Chef Priyanka might even take up more of your time if you start adding up the hours right now. Yeah, it's pretty so, it's pretty equal. <laughs> yeah. So um, I think that's just like really good advice. Like if, if you have that passion, like, do you actually want to like devote yourself to it? Because those are like two different questions, like versus like a hobby where it's like I'm cooking because I like to and it makes yeah. me feel better versus I'm doing this, you know, with my free time as a potential career and I'm doing whatever I can to pitch myself to, so that I can transition into this as a career and not just a hobby. It sounds yeah. like you're you're speaking from a place of some experience, Valerie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I question daily, but that's, <laughs> I mean, it's it, like the, the other, on the flip side of that, when you do turn your hobby into a career, um, it, it hits different, right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, and I would say in doing that and you, out of a lot of people know that because you used to be a lawyer and now you're doing what you love. But recording I recording this yeah. uh, groundbreaking <laughs> recording podcast, podcast. Yeah. 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 amazing cast. It was my head in a laptop, like <laughs> writing a head note, recipe head notes, which is actually really like, ooh, like getting in touch with my feelings. Yeah. Like and I think it's like being structured in addition to like being structured about your time and how you spend your time, it's setting yourself um, tiered goals. And that that's what I do. Like, as someone who has a data science and tech background, that's just the way I think. But I have like, I have tier one, tier two, and tier three goals. And then I think about like, what, if this is an actual goal of mine, not a dream, but a goal, then what are the steps that I need to do to get there? Because these, all of these things are achievable. It's just how you're spending your time doing that. So I think that's also a great point. And I would say like, things are achievable. Like if you have the talent and passion and luck, it's like a little cocktail that has to happen kind of, right? Yeah. But I love the tiered goals because especially when you're like working for yourself as like a business owner or a freelancer or a creative, um, and if you get caught up in like tier two and tier three, you can get kind of bogged down by that mm -hmm. and you kind of have to stop and give yourself a pat on the back sometimes for like accomplishing those small steps yeah. that are going to get you to those bigger steps. Um, Priyanka, where can our listeners find you? Well, the question of the hour. Um, in many places, but my handle across all of social media is at 
Chef Priyanka, um, not Priyanka Chopra, the better Priyanka, Chef Priyanka, <laughs> and uh, my blog, which is also chefpriyanka.com. Um, yeah, those should, are those are the places. Should we do some rapid fire, Ethan? Yeah, I, I mean, you're, you're so much better at the rapid fire okay. than I am, but I'll try to keep up. I'll start. Thank you. Uh-oh. Okay. <laughs> she Wait. was just about to sip her tea. <laughs> Priyanka, hashtag sips tea. Um, because you've done some work with some liquor brands, mm-hmm. what's your favorite cocktail? Oh, that is so funny because I, for whatever reason, I thought of the cocktail before randomly because my mind is in a million places at once but it is my favorite cocktail um the one that i've created is a saffron cardamom spritzer um and it's made with the botanist gin and it's made with the saffron simple syrup and ground cardamom and the reason why i like this and i know i don't know if there's any indian listeners on this but it's basically a gulab jamun in a cup which is a very popular indian dessert which is like a fried ball of goodness that's soaked in saffron syrup with like cardamom and rose and so um, it's basically my recreation of that in a cocktail sounds delicious we should make those the next time the recipe is on www.chefpriyanka.com since you brought it up earlier and this is actually a rapid fire question we ask pretty regularly uh, what did you eat for lunch as a kid Oh, um, so my mom is an excellent cook, and I've learned primarily for from her. So each day our lunch would be different. Um, so sometimes it would be like an Indian-inspired eggplant parmesan sandwich. So instead of like a marinara, it would be like a like an Indian mint, mint green chutney on it. Um, another thing that I would eat for lunch sometimes is a veggie sandwich. Or a if on special days, my surprise sandwich would be a butter and sugar sandwich. <laughs> it would just be like white bread with butter and sugar. Did you love that? Yeah, it was just Ugh. I have a huge sweet tooth, so it'd be like oh my god, like it's the butter sugar. Have you, sandwich. Have you made it recently? <laughs> no, because I cook all vegan, so uh, I try yeah. to stay away from you know yeah. butter and. It's very good though. It's very good. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, toast with butter and sugar. We would we would call it like cinnamon toast, yeah. Yeah. but it was mostly butter and sugar. And <laughs> yeah. there was like a, a sprinkle, sprinkle a sprinkle of cinnamon. But yeah. like, I guess that's the like breakfast equivalent yeah. of a butter sugar sandwich. But then she would also give like a mango juice and a V eight, like the V eight canned juice. This is before V eight fusion. This is like the original V eight, which we hated. But she would like give us that and be like, drink that V eight. Did you drink it? Well, yeah, because the lunch attendant would yell at us because she'd be like, my mom, like your mom told us you need to finish that. <laughs> like, Do you have a, a meal that, that stands out to you from one of your childhood trips to India? Yes. Uh, it is a dish um, that is mainly served in the state of Maharashtra in Belgam and Kolhapur, and it's called Alipak. And this is not something you could get in restaurants here, but it's moistened, flattened rice that is then tossed with ginger and green chili and black salt and um cilantro and it's kind of like a room temperature or cold dish that you would get on a street side it's like a like a chat or like yeah a kind of like a chat yeah. yeah and it's just so good it's just a really cool combination of flavors and actually by default it's vegan a lot of our food's vegan we just don't call it that um so yes that is one of my favorite dishes mm, that sounds great yeah. okay um i guess last question uh because you like to travel and you've been so many places, um, what's like a recent cool foodie destination you've been to? So, Australia. 
Um, this is, I went there last year and it was kind of on a whim and very last minute. And I didn't even spend too much time there, like a week and a half maybe for all that travel. But I was so taken aback by the food scene there. I don't know if any, either of you guys have been there, but if you go to Sydney or Melbourne, all of the food there is amazing. Like I did not have a bad meal at all. And I think it's because of their proximity to Southeast Asia and like the French Polynesia and the Pacific area. Their Asian food is amazing. Like you would never get that type of Malaysian or Indonesian or even Indian food here. Um, the quality of the ingredients are awesome because everything is local and indigenous to the country. So the quality of all of like the macadamia nut milks, the almond milks, like everything was awesome. And the last piece on that is they're very focused on plant-based and organic lifestyle and vegan lifestyle. So the amount of vegan food available everywhere was astonishing. Like I hope, I hope New York is like that in the next year or two because I was I was really impressed by the availability. Like you could be vegan there with no problem at all. Very cool. I yeah. did not know Australia <laughs> yeah, a foodie destination, <laughs> but you've sold me. I'm ready. <laughs> um, thank you so much for joining thank us. You. Um, Thanks also to Jess Krenjic, our awesome sound engineer, to the Red Crickets for our theme song, which is called Blind. Um, to you, Valerie, my co-host, uh, oh, where yeah. can people find you? Oh, they can find me at Foodie in New York. And I mean, Ethan, you're leaving on Saturday, I'm right? I'm going to India on Saturday. Uh, for like a month. Don't worry. Oh my God. We have... We have pre-recorded several episodes so you will not be left without your Y Food Podcast weekly fix. Some really, um, really, really exciting guests. Yeah. I can't wait for you guys to hear some of these guests. Uh, and yeah, I'll be in India. Uh, we're, we're doing a spice sourcing trip so we're going to meet with the turmeric farmer who we've been working with for the last uh, close to three years now uh, and be there for the turmeric harvest which is going to be amazing. It's amazing. Uh, and then we're working on, uh, we're going to meet a bunch of mango farmers. Priyanka, you'll know this. There's a, an Indian green mango powder called Amchur, which is a yeah. classic part of a lot of Indian dishes and particularly the chats, the sort of mm -hmm. street food salad type dishes. Um, but it's not really widely known in the nope. U.S. It's one of my secret ingredients oh, yeah. in one of my dishes. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, even the varieties, maybe you found a better version of it, but I live in Jackson Heights. I've got yeah. great Indian supermarkets, a uh, very short walk from my apartment. And the, I'm sure that I've gotten there is, is kind of, yeah, 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 it's, it's just like yeah. not that interesting. So we're going to meet with a farmer uh, in Karnataka. Uh, Ratnagiri is on the border, close mm -hmm. to the border between Maharashtra and Karnataka, yeah. right? So is it in Maharashtra? I think it's in Maharashtra, it's, technically. It's one of those, yeah. Well, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Uh, so we're going to go meet with this farmer who grows Amchur mangoes and salts them and dries them and has a stone grinder of some kind and makes his Amazing. old Amchur. So, uh, I'm sorry, Alfonso mangoes to make Amchur. So... Uh, you should get Alipak while you're out there. All right, there. I'll ask yeah. for it. Um, mm -hmm. And then we're going to go to Kerala, and then we're also going to the very far northeast of the country, the foothills of the Himalayas in wow. Assam and Sikkim. And Be safe out there. Yeah. yeah. We'll try to stay safe here in New York yeah, City. I know. I'll be posting a lot on Instagram, so uh, if, if you don't hear from me for a couple of days, uh, come find me. No, I'll be posting a lot on Instagram about the trip and about the farmers that we're meeting and, and the agricultural processes behind spices, which is see. not things that awesome. people mostly know very much about. But um, anyway, that's uh, that's it. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Priyanka, thank you for joining us. Thank you. And uh, yeah, tune in next week. Tune in next week. Bye. Y Food is powered by Simplecast. 
Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. <laughs>